Good morning, everyone uh, uh, from Bay Area, our Kaleo family and, and, and Merced. Uh, I'm very thankful that we can, uh, I mean, with this is one of the benefits of, of doing virtually that, that we could e very easily put together a, a joint worship. So, you know, we wanted to uh, take this opportunity to do that for uh, basically next three months. Uh, so uh, it is uh, all the pastors, uh, it is our prayer, it is our hope that uh, God will do uh, wonderful things in our life uh, through our joint worship and, and this teaching series that we are uh, beginning today. So I, before I kind of go into uh, the message for today, I just wanted to give a, a quick review of last week's message, which was uh, basically an introduction to this, uh, this Christian living series. And so it was kind of based on uh, the time that my, me and, and, and pastors uh, Raf and Stephen, uh, when we met virtually, uh, as we do once a week to, you know, to share personal things and, and discuss ministry matters and so forth, uh, we felt that it, this would be a good, really good opportunity to, uh, to really address uh, some very important and essential uh, truths of God's word uh, and really emphasizing you know how not not just not just in, in, in understanding these truths, but uh, really making a connection between that and how we are to live that out. Uh, whether it's a circumstance like uh, you know we've been living in the past few months, or or whatever our, our circumstance um, as Christians, we always uh, need to uh, live the Word of God uh, in ways that glorifies Him, and it is a blessing unto us. So, you know, out of that conversation came. Uh, this series. So I'm going to be starting and including today. Uh, it's going to take four weeks. And after uh, I'm done, then and Pastor Raph will take over for about four weeks. And then after him, of course, Pastor Stephen uh, will take the, uh, the finished leg, finishing leg of, of this series. So uh, let me give you just a quick an introduction uh, to this Christian living series and what to expect. And so I briefly mentioned this last uh, last week, but uh, I, let me just kind of put it in this format. So the, the series that I'm going to be uh, doing is number one, Foundation and Pillars of Christian Living. And I'll be covering starting today with the foundation uh, and, the, and then following the purpose, the love, uh, and the work. Uh, and uh, after I'm done, uh, Pastor Raf will take over, and he will do a series called A Hill to Die On, and he's, he's going to explain, you know, what the significance of that title, but essentially, uh, it is a, a study of Colossians chapter 3. Uh, so just a description of what he's going to be covering, new life in Christ, putting to death earthly things, and putting on heavenly things. Uh, and then last leg uh, of the series is Pastor Stephen, and he'll be covering a teaching series on faith, the lessons of faith. So in that uh, series, uh, he will go into the definition of faith. Uh, he will uh, teach on the parable of the sower as it relates to faith and uh, some advanced lessons on faith, whatever that is for now. So uh, I look forward to, to all these wonderful messages uh, for us. For, for today, uh, let us... Uh, give our attention uh, to the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And this is the passage for us this morning. And this is the reading of God's Word. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and some, someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only 
as through fire. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful and we are thankful and we are joyful as we have gathered to worship you this morning. And we are so thankful in the midst of troubles and, and challenges that we've been facing for the past few months. Lord, in the midst of all of that, Lord, we can still gather to worship you and to fellowship and to continue our, our life of faith as you want us to. At this time, Lord, as we give attention to your word, may your Holy Spirit work in all of us to nourish our hearts. Help us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit to give us clarity of mind and ears to hear the truth of your word for all of us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus Christ, our foundation. So this is, uh, I'm sure is nothing new uh, to most of you at least, uh, understanding that Jesus Christ is our foundation. But we want to really consider the word of God uh, to understand specifically what that really means and uh, what that means in terms of our life. So in verse 10 and 11, let me read those two verses for you again. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul, in, in this letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, uh, is saying that he laid the foundation in Corinth. And uh, basically what that means is that he uh, brought this message of the cross, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't the only one. Apollos was also there. He labored in Corinth. Uh, and we see that in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 12. Uh, Acts chapter 18. Apparently also, uh, Peter was there. Uh, and to whom uh, Paul refers to as Cephas. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 2 to 4, 2 second, uh, Corinthians 11, 2 to 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So uh, it's, it's the work of these apostles uh, to go from you know, town, place to place and town to town uh, to lay down the foundation of who Jesus Christ is through the message of the cross. It's, I mean, we normally call that the gospel. And so that, that's what Paul is, is referring to when he talks about this foundation. But as Paul wrote uh, this letter, someone else was ministering in Corinth with a different foundation or different message or the gospel. So Paul's words here uh, is first an admonishing uh, and instruct, instructing of the church in Corinth, but also uh, his words uh, were also a warning to those who were teaching a different gospel. This is, and this is nothing new for Paul. And we saw that clearly for those of you, if you, if you remember uh, any part of uh, uh, the letter to the Galatians that we covered uh, a while back, uh, same thing in the first letter of John. Uh, this is nothing new for, for, for Paul and the other apostles uh, to address this problem of false teachers and false gospels that were being taught uh, all over the place uh, during the early church days. Uh, and no different for us today. It is very, very important for us to recognize what is the true gospel and what are the false gospels uh, that are all over. So Jesus Christ alone is the true foundation, and he is the, he is the only basis of our salvation. So in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, uh, it says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. And so uh, the scripture clearly teaches that salvation is only through Jesus Christ and no one else. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 to 4, it says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, uh, you put up with it readily enough. So uh, I think it's pretty clear that this was part of the problem uh, that the Corinthian church uh, was facing uh, from these false teachings. Uh, false teachers who, was, who were proclaiming another Jesus, a different spirit, and different gospel, uh, as Paul was saying in his second letter to the Corinthians. In verses 12 through 17, uh, and let me just read it quickly for you, uh, we find he mentioning, uh, Paul mentions three kinds of builders. So starting from verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Okay, so the first uh, kind of builder that he mentions is the skilled at the skilled builder. And basically the skilled builder is in reference to ministers or teachers of sound doctrine. And this is what we ought to uh, expect, that we ought to look for, that we ought to understand uh, whether uh, a, a minister or teacher or preacher of the word is teaching sound doctrine. And this is the skilled builder. The second kind of builder he mentions, and we see that in, uh, in verse 15, anyone's work is burned up. He will suffer loss, uh, though he himself be saved, but only as through fire. So this is an unskilled builder in reference to uh, ministers or teachers of bad doctrine. Now, just because a, a, a preacher is, uh, is truly saved and, and, and called of God doesn't necessarily mean uh, that he always teaches uh, sound doctrine. And this is the reason why uh, we ought not to take teaching lightly. And there's a lot involved in the study and preparation of, of teaching the word of God in order that we might present the word of God uh, without changing anything in the way that uh, the Bible was meant to be understood and applied and obeyed in our life. So this is an unskilled builder. And third uh, is mentioned in verse 17, it says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And of course, there's a cap this third category of uh, so-called teachers or preachers of, of God's word uh, who are false prophets, false teachers. Uh, and we, we studied that pretty thoroughly in 1 John, uh, where we learned about uh, the false, not only the false prophets, but the idea of uh, false Christ or antichrist. And these are men and women uh, whose point is really not to, of course, you know, they're not true believers, is not to build up the church, obviously, but it is to do the work of the devil, right? And this is what verse 17 is saying. The devil himself uh, is on a mission 
uh, of course, he's, he will he will not succeed. Uh, you know, his devil uh, and 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 his other fallen uh, angels uh, are seeking to destroy the work of God. And these these are obviously the corrupt builders, uh, ministers, and teachers of false doctrine. First Corinthians chapter two and verse four says. Okay, this is Paul speaking, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And in a similar way, okay, he in, second, in his second letter in chapter 11, verse 6, he says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So what Paul is saying, right, the greatest of, of the apostles, the greatest mind among all the apostles, uh, the one that God used greatly uh, to read uh, a huge part of uh, his word in the New Testament. He says, I did not come uh, with this speech and message, right, with implausible words of wisdom. He says, I am unskilled in speaking. So he's not saying I'm unskilled uh, in terms of the sound doctrine, but he's saying I am unskilled in speaking. All right, so whenever I'm reminded of this about Paul, uh, I feel pretty good. Because okay? sometimes, uh, you know, there's over the years I, I've uh, had concerns whether I was good enough speaker and so forth. But uh, what Paul is saying is something very, very important for all of us, not just for pastor, but all of us. Because we are not to focus on whether a, a teacher or preacher of God's word is a good speaker, right? One who comes uh, in this uh, extraordinary ability uh, to speak in front of people. Now, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, to be a good speaker, to be a good orator is not a bad thing. But Paul is saying it is not about that but it's about the demonstration of the spirit of God and of power. It's about having knowledge of God's word and the true gospel. So whether it's me and whatever you may think of my speaking abilities, whether it's pastor Stephen, whether it's pastor Raph or uh, any other teacher or preacher of the word focus not on the ability of a preacher to speak, but is he teaching sound doctrine? Is he teaching that is true gospel of Jesus Christ? In verse 12, where it says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Uh, there are a couple of interpretations, and I'm going to go through a couple of them here, in terms of what uh, these materials that are used in building, uh, according to uh, what Paul is saying here. And how, how we could understand that. So first one, gold, silver, and precious stone. Okay? We're going to uh, group them in two categories here, gold, silver, and precious stones. And these basically are referring to the enduring, lasting quality of the builder's work. What does that really mean? It means that these this that represents the gold, silver, and precious stone represents sound doctrines which the minister builds, uh, so to speak, into people's lives. Okay? And the second uh, group of words that he uses in terms of the material that is used to build, wood, hay, and straw. And these are uh, work that is temporary and has no value. And they rep represent, of course, false doctrines. The second interpretation of gold, silver, and precious stones is that these represent believers, true believers, who constitute the church of Jesus Christ. 
Okay? If we consider these passages, Ephesians 2 and verse 22, it says, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, We are uh, called the dwelling place for God. Nothing new. I'm sure you've, you've uh, all of you heard uh, about uh, this aspect of who we are. We are the temple of the living God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Okay, and one more in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you yourselves are, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is common in the, the New Testament uh, where these inanimate objects are used to describe who we are as God's people. So likewise, in this passage, we can understand gold, silver, and costly stones that the builder uses to build this house as being true believers. And of course, uh, on the flip side of that, wood, hay, and straw would represent the unbelievers or the unregenerate people present in the church because uh, this is something that we may not think uh, about regularly, but in the context of any local church, body of Christ, it is always a mixture of true believers and those that are not true believers. And Bible talks about that in different ways. Sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. And so this is the reality of our life uh, before the coming of Jesus Christ, that uh, it is always a mixture. And most of the time, we don't know that. We don't know, but God knows. Maybe sometimes people, they themselves know whether they're truly followers of Christ or not. But the fact of the matter is that in the church, there are both true believers and those that are not true believers, those that uh, are regenerate by the work of the Holy Spirit, the redemptive work of God, and those who are unregenerate, who are still in their sins. In James chapter 1, verse 10, it says, And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And the word uh, that is used in James chapter 1 as grass, and the word that is used in our passage this morning, uh, hay, are the same word. Okay? And that is in reference to uh, a person who is not saved by God's grace. So those are the two uh, interpretations. So once again, the first one, gold, silver, and precious stones, referring to the enduring quality of builder's work, uh, which essentially means that uh, these are the sound doctrines with which uh, the ministry of the word uh, preaches and teaches uh, God's people. And wood, hay, and straw are those things that will not last. What will not, not last? Uh, false teachings, false gospel. These things were not, you know, they might sound good, but they're not lasting. Uh, they have nothing to do with eternal life and things that will last for eternity. And the second interpretation is that these precious metals, these precious stones, are the true believers in the church of Jesus Christ. Wood, hay, and straw representing the unregenerate, unsaved people uh, in the midst of believers in the church. And in verse 13, it says, Each one's work will become manifest, for, that, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Okay, what is, what is that talking about? So anytime uh, in the New Testament, when you see uh, the term, the day, the day, uh, that is in reference to uh, the return of Jesus Christ or the judgment day. Okay, and this is uh, speaking of the judgment, the day of judgment, when Christ will judge all people. He will judge all people. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So when he comes, he will judge all people. And one of the things that he does, a very important part of his judgment, is that he will separate those that belong to him and those that do not belong to him. Okay, this is part of the judgment of Jesus Christ. So it's, we start with the judgment of unbelievers. Okay, there are two groups of people in the world, unbelievers and believers. So when Jesus Christ returns as a judge, he will judge both. And he will judge the unbelievers. In Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12, Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, call the uncircumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. God will judge unbelievers. There's a certain amount of God's wrath uh, being poured out against the unbelievers and the unrighteous even today, but the judgment day will bring on the fullness of God's wrath, and this is what we're talking about. So starting with judgment of unbelievers, unbelievers because of their un, uh, their, them not having faith and trust in Christ for their salvation, they stand uh, to end up in heaven. No, they will end up in hell. This is the eternal judgment and the wrath of God. Now, among believers, uh, I, I did want to also address the fact that not, not all are, well, in one sense, you know, if you're an unbeliever, you're an unbeliever. Uh, but, you know, categorically, I think we do have to give attention to uh, two types of unbelievers. Obviously, the first is a non-religious and okay, non-religious. They want nothing to do with, with God. They want nothing to do with the worshiping of God and so forth. And then there are uh, these people who consider themselves religious. And what kind of religious? Well, other religions, right? There are tons of other religions. There are a handful of very recognizable world religions, uh, uh, whether it's uh, Buddhism or Hinduism, uh, Islam, and Christianity being one of them as, as people perceive these dif different uh, religions uh, around the world. But also, but also, within what we understand as Christian faith, there are false converts. Right? So all these groups of people fall into this category of unbelievers. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And in verse 23, Right. It, this is where Jesus speaks these shocking words. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And here Jesus is is addressing not the non-religious people, but he is addressing those that for whatever reason that they lived their life, believing that they were followers of Jesus Christ. These are of obviously uh, uh, people who were uh, serving and maybe even devoted to a false religion, a humanistic religion. 
uh, well, many of you probably already know, but the apostle Paul, before he became uh, the apostle Paul, he was Saul. And uh, he was exactly that. He was religious, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He came from uh, an impeccable lineage. Uh, and what was he doing? He was, he was destroying the church at that time. Well, before he, he converted and, and became an apostle of Jesus Christ, he was on mission to destroy the church. So he would have fallen into this category if not for God's mercy and grace that saved him on his way to Damascus. And there are, obviously, I don't know, none of us really know, but God knows. Uh, but it seems, according to scripture, that there are, there will be many right, who are in this category of uh, false believers because uh, they have nothing to do with Jesus Christ and the true uh, Christian faith. The second, the second judgment is judgment of believers. Okay, it's not the exact same judgment in terms of uh, you know that deals with salvation. But God will judge his people, uh, and he will judge regarding how each believer uh, lived the life for which Christ died and was raised. And so the question that really matters for, for us this morning as, as believers is this question uh, at the end of our lives. Uh, did you live your life uh, that was built on the foundation of Jesus with sound doctrines? Did we live by the true gospel of Jesus Christ throughout our whole life? And this is the, this is the critical question for all of us who are believers. Now, there can be an appearance of being a good Christian, uh, being a good church, but we have to be careful uh, and we could only discern this with scripture, not only by appearance, that's why I call it a, an appearance. It, our, so our personal life as believers can have this appearance uh, of being a good Christian, of being a good family and so forth, because uh, from the surface, from the outside, it, it looks all good and everything is going well. Right? And, and, and you are a regular participant in Sunday worships and, and, and you serve in various different ways and so forth. Uh, you have health, you have finances uh, that is not causing you uh, uh, stress. You have a good job. You have healthy children that are doing well, etc. As a church, uh, there could be numerical growth. Uh, there could be a, a nice facility, uh, many different ministries and programs, uh, and, 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 and your church members are, are doing well with all of them, and, and et cetera. Now, these are not bad things, obviously. But as I describe them, these are just appearances. What matters is what is taking place on the inside. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. And we, I read this uh, previously, but verse 5 says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. Now, so Paul is really describing uh, and teaching something very important here, right? After he says, uh, I didn't come uh, in my speech and my message uh, with plausible words and wisdom, meaning uh, there's implying that I, I didn't come with this like, you know, great ability to speak and the wisdom of man, uh, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power, this power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. So that as hearers and recipients uh, of 
God's word that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is a very, very critical message for all of us because all of us can very, very be easily led down this path of relying on men's wisdom, what man does, what I do, as opposed to uh, really trusting and relying on the work of God and the power of God. And this is what Paul is saying. How about this one? Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. As God uh, addresses the seven churches, here he writes uh, to uh, or give these words to the church in Sardis. It says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Right? These are scary words. But I believe today there are many churches who are exactly in this position. God, in his view, he would say, I know your works. You have reputation of being alive, but you are dead. A lot of times, from our perspective, there are a lot of churches uh, that seems to be uh, doing well because they're growing, they're vibrant in the ways that they do many different you know, programs and, 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 and ministries. Uh, they're growing in number. They have great facilities and all these things. And I think most Christians, uh, even among Christians, they look at all those things and go, wow, that's a good church. That must be a good church. And they go to worship service, and there are not only a lot of people, but they do it in such a way that you get this experience. Now, some of those things are not good, but uh, some of those things are not bad things. But uh, are those things really what we should go by to determine whether a church is really truly alive in Christ and is spiritually vibrant and, and uh, in the pursuit of the glory of God that is pleasing unto the Lord? No. Okay, there we cannot go by appearances, whether it's our personal life or whether it's church. What is the actual? That's the appearance. What is the actual? Unless what we do and how we live as Christians is according to God's word, the sound doctrine, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, nothing that we do, apart from that, can last. The psalmist says in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. So now, this reminds me of the way that many Christians talk. And sometimes we, we talk this way also, but it's actually bad theology. Whenever we say we refer to ourselves as building our church, our ministry, uh, that is uh, in fact incorrect, is unbiblical, even though I, I kind of, I think most of us understand the expression, uh, but we ought not to use those expressions. Why? Because uh, this is what the psalmist is saying. The Lord builds the house. But if we strive to build the house of God, we labor in vain because this is not how it works. In Matthew 16, verses 16 to 18, in, uh, this is a conversation between Jesus and uh, Peter, Simon Peter. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied uh, to, to the question of, you know, who do you say uh, that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, and Jesus answered him in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So as soon as Simon uh, answered the question about who Jesus uh, is, was, when, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which was, by the way, what was the right answer? 
But Jesus says, said to him, you are blessed because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It's basically saying you didn't figure this out. You didn't kind of go to school or learn through experience or something like that and figure this out yourself. But he said, my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And this is really the, the, the mercy and grace of God. When God reveals who he is to a sinner who is rebelling, who wants nothing to do with God. For a, for a sinner to come to this place of recognizing Jesus Christ as the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God, the savior of the world. And then in verse 18, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I'm going to leave alone the first part of it, because there are different kind of interpretation in terms of what Jesus means by uh, you are Peter and on this rock it's on, on, on the rock of, you know, Peter on Peter, is he going to build his church? Is it on the, uh, the, the, his confession? Uh, we'll consider that another time, but I wanted to focus on this second half of this verse 18, which says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we are the truly the body of Christ, and if we are a biblical church, uh, Jesus is building our church. And it is only when Jesus builds his own church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, no matter what happens. This has nothing to do with number. This has nothing to do with whether we have, you know, worship and do these things in a nice facility that is, uh, you know, owned by us or not it has nothing to do with the, these things but it has everything to do uh, with our recognition of our identity in jesus christ and clearly understanding and, and faithful to the life that god has called us to in jesus christ and uh, if we can do and live life that way as as a church then jesus christ will build this church, our church, and any church whose head is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus builds his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The enemies of God shall not pre prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. As believers, our life of faith stands firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ. How? Through obedience. And this is, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 24 to 27. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, verse 34, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The idea of building on the foundation of Jesus Christ is building on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. The solid foundation that will stand in God's judgment when that day comes. Building on sand is a description of building on a false foundation. And when a person builds his life on this false foundation, it will not stand 
in God's judgment, obviously. Okay, and this is the separation, once again, between the sheep and the goats. And when Jesus comes back as a judge, he will do that as part of his judgment, separate those that belong to him, who are standing, who have built their, their lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And so they will stand in the judgment and enter into the eternal life. And of course, those that are not standing, that have not lived on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, they have lived their lives on false foundation, which will not stand in God's judgment. Building on this foundation of Jesus Christ is obedience to Jesus Christ. And let me go through some, give you some ideas. Not that you don't know about such things, but primarily as uh, a reminder and, and an exhortation at this point. Christian life of obedience is not merely about going to church, another expression that we use commonly as Christians. It's not merely about going to church on Sundays. Well, for now, we don't, we don't go anywhere. Uh, it's not just about reading the Bible, something that we always want to emphasize. It's not just about doing some good things and loving our neighbors. And we can list, make a list of many things. But Christian life obedience of obedience is not just making a list of such things and doing them here and there, even consistently. But it's really about fully submitting to Jesus Christ with our whole lives. It encompasses everything about who we are in our lives. Just to give you some ideas, okay, in regards to these important different aspects of our life. Now, some of these things, I know it's, it's, it's very, very familiar to, to you, and, and maybe some of these things you may, you may not have thought of too, too often or too regularly. Uh, where do we, how do we obey? Well, let's start with our thoughts. Okay. Have you really considered uh, the fact that as Christians, uh, we need to submit to Christ our thoughts. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we cannot just think about obeying, obeying Christ in just terms of outwardly doing some tasks. True obedience is obedience from the heart. It comes inwardly. It starts from inward place. And our thoughts, our thought life is a critical aspect of our life of obedience. How about our affections? There, there are a ton of things that we love. Matthew 6, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, but lay up your treasure, uh, yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is just a portion of a, a little bigger uh, passage in regards to Jesus teaching about where to uh, store up and what kind of treasure. So he distinguishes earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. And he says, store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Our affection must be for the things of God. Not for earthly things. Not for material and physical things that will not last. Stewardship. How to be a good manager of all that God has given us. Our money. Our time. Our discretionary time, what do we do with it? One-third of our day, basically, and one-third of our lives, we sleep. One-third, we work in general. What do we do with the other third? I think it's a very, very 
important question that we need to address in our life every single day because uh, I realized, of course, many years ago that uh, I just wasted a lot of time. And as I got older, uh, this issue became so much more important because, uh, well, you know, I guess anybody can, can, can die young, but in general, this is how we think. As we get older, we're getting, of course, closer to the end of our lives. And so part of that natural thinking process is, wow, I, I have, I, I've lived much longer than I'm going to live. So how, do, how should I be living my life? I mean, you know, that's the process that I went through uh, to come to the conclusion uh, that, wow, I, I can't squander uh, the opportunities and the precious time that God has given, given me each and every day. It's just something uh, I, I, I highly recommend for you to think about and how you're spending your time. And we are all given different kinds of talents and skills and so forth, spiritual talents. And uh, how, do we, how do we use them? How do we manage them? Right? Uh, here's a thought. Uh, I think most people, including Christians, we think we are owners. Right? Um, and I'm not just talking about things. I mean, but we, we can start with things like, like, you know, houses and so forth. And if we're not owners, if we're just renters, uh, we seek, we desire to be owners. But in general, in a broader sense, uh, we have this attitude and notion that I am the owner of my life. Now, not for non-Christians, they can think whatever they want. Okay, that's the corrupted mind, the corrupted heart. That's what uh, sinners do. But for Christians, it's a different story. God has done something and revealed something, has taught something that is quite different from how a non-believer thinks about himself or herself and their lives. None of us, this is including non-believers, whatever they may think, uh, and whatever you may have thought as, as Christians, uh, none of us are owners. Even if you have your own house that you purchased, Uh, you're not owners. Well, you know, even in a world, he says, technically, un un unless you paid your house off, <laughs> unless you paid your, your car off, uh, you're really not the owner. Uh, the bank is the owner. But in a, in a, in a bigger scope of things, uh, none of us are owners. We are all renters. Uh, as Christians, we are managers. And this is the idea of stewardship. And the question is, of course, uh, how ought we to manage the things that our master, our God, has given us for a time? Okay, that's stewardship. And we ought to be good managers, faithful managers of the things that God owns and God owns everything. Relationships. So are you single? Are you married? Are you single? Lord, in this season of my life as a single, how should I live to honor you? is the way that you ought to be thinking. Married, Lord, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, mother, how should I live to honor you? Your church life, this is who we are and not a place to go to. How are you doing as a member of the lo local church? Service in different ways that you serve, how are you doing that? Your work, your career, what is your, what is your view on that? What is your attitude towards it? How are you setting goals? And how are you approaching that work in your career as a Christian? Are you doing all of these things in obedience to Christ, in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 Paul says, he died for all, Jesus, that those who might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Very clear. It's not complicated to understand. 
Jesus died and was raised to save us. And if we are saved, we have this newness of life in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, if we have that life in Christ, that which Christ died and was raised for, we no longer live for ourselves and we live for him. So this is not talking about a portion of our lives, even most of our lives. No, all of it, it belongs to God. Well, before that, uh, I want to address this question that maybe some of you might be having uh, in your minds at this point. Wow. All that sounds really like heavy. It's burdensome. It's like maybe even excessive. Uh, are we slaves? Am I a slave? I can't live for me. Any part of it, everything about me belongs to God? Well, the simple answer is yes. That is true. Uh, read Romans chapter 6. And what Paul teaches about being a slave. On one hand, before Christ, we be, before we became children of God, uh, he very, very clearly teaches about our condition that we were slaves of sin. But through Christ, we became slaves of God or slaves of righteousness. So he uses the same term to describe clearly the difference between when we were in darkness and dead in our transgressions and through Christ, God brought us into life and what that entails, and he uses the same word slavery to describe our relationship to our God. That slavery in, the, in terms of the relationship, once with sin and now in Christ with God, take that's totally different uh, relationship. Okay. So are we slaves of God? Yes, we are. But God is not an oppressive, uh, he is not this heavy-handed, uh, mean, unmerciful God. But he is good. He is faithful. He is merciful. He is just. He is patient. He is all these things that the Bible teaches about who God is. Who, through Christ, became our father. Who loves us. As I was thinking about that, I thought about uh, both Pastor Rath and Pastor Stephen in how they pray. And I decided that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy them and put these two things together because it's just a wonderful bookends, uh, I think, in, in, in a good prayer. Pastor Rath, whatever you, whether you've noticed or not, Almost every time he prays, he starts out his prayer by saying, thank you for all that you've given us. Given what? Wow. Now, we could take some time here to discuss all of it. But I want to really focus on the most precious thing that God has given us, and that's Jesus Christ, through whom we have eternal life. And in Christ, the Bible teaches, God has given us every spiritual blessing. And what a wonderful way to acknowledge what God has done. Thank you for all that you've given us. And then I thought about the way that Pastor Stephen, almost every time he prays, at the end of his prayer, he says, for your glory and our good. And I thought about that uh, I think many times. I, every time I hear it, I go, man, that's so good. Because how true that is also. And how faithful we are even to acknowledge that how faithful we are as Christians, according to scripture, to recognize that everything that we live for and everything that we pray for is for the glory of God. But not only that, when we pursue a life of glorifying God, and I'm going to go into that, 
in, in subsequent messages, but uh, it's not when we pursue God through our lives, his glory, therein lies our greatest good. Usually our good, we try to pursue and, and to seek and find with our own uh, uh, ways, in our own methods, in a man-centered way. But the truth of the matter is, when we live faithfully to follow Christ in obedience to his word and seek the will and the glory of God, we will find our greatest satisfaction, our greatest joys, and our greatest good for this life and certainly for the life after. Okay. And here is a summary. And let me summarize in, in the most simple way that I could summarize the message today. First, true foundation is Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus Christ equates to eternal life. Okay, that's the foundation. Secondly, there is a false foundation, and that's man's work. And this is true of unbelievers and even for believers. That if, even as believers, when we do things, if we do anything, According to man, man's efforts and man's wisdom, of course, this is not talking about losing our salvation or eternal punishment, but it, those are things that will not last. But in the ultimate sense, the false foundation is man's work, and this will lead uh, ultimately to eternal punishment or, or the wrath of God. And number three, the idea of building on the foundation of Jesus Christ are these two things. First, in this context of our passage today, it is the work of faithful ministers of God's word to preach and teach the true gospel, sound doctrines. This is critically important. Uh, there are different ways that people might assess and evaluate pastors, uh, but this is right up there. This has to be the most important thing. Right? In, 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 in terms of uh, being a, a pastor or preacher, a teacher of God's word. Uh, are we faithful to preach and teach the true gospel and true sound doctrines? Secondly, is a little broader uh, understanding of building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And this is, includes, includes all believers. Right? This is the work of all believers to continue to believe. The same gospel that saved us to continue to believe and live obediently according to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. These are, this is the sound doctrines that the Bible teaches both in Old and New Testament. And this is what God expects all of us in how we are to live. Uh, and that is how uh, we can be faithful and going back to uh, last week's message uh, in regards to a, a life uh, that is lived uh, in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Okay? And that's it from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And brothers and sisters of both Kaleo families uh, here in the Bay Area and Merced, this is the prayer. This is my prayer this is the prayer of Pastor Stephen and Pastor Rath for all of you. That we all, all of you, including ourselves, that we will walk and live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you. We are blessed. And we can make a list of many things. 
in how you bless us each and every day. But all those things are included in the greatest blessing of all, that is Jesus Christ, who is our foundation. Father, may your word be evident through your word and the Holy Spirit in how you never cease your good work in all of us, in building us to be a dwelling place for the Almighty God. We ask that you would work in our hearts and minds to have motivation and desire from our hearts to live a life of faithfully following and living by the true gospel of Jesus Christ. May we seek the right things, O Lord. May we have the right understanding of these great truths that you reveal and teach through your word. May we desire it. Build us up, O God, that we may live in our circumstance of this day, in all its troubles and worries and concerns, Lord, let us be who you have created us to be, salt and light, representatives of the kingdom of God, unafraid of anything and fully trusting in the sovereign work of the almighty God, our Father. May your name be truly glorified, Lord. And as we pursue a life of being firmly rooted and founded upon Jesus Christ, may we discover the wonderful blessing of how good that is for this life and for the life that is yet to come. Lord, be glorified in us. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.